You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and we are dealing with St. Patrick's Festival celebrations. And this year's St. Patrick's celebration for Ireland Park Foundation is a virtual dinner and cultural experience, and is to celebrate Ireland and Canada's shared culinary and musical experience and heritage. And uh, Mildred's Temple Kitchen is involved in this, and uh, I'm curious how you have a virtual dinner celebration and you can put out a menu and how the, how the food is going to get around. And Will Pete is here with me from Ireland Park Foundation, he's going to talk about. We also have Jason King. Well, I'm a historical advisor for Ireland Park Foundation wearing that hat. Thank you both, first of all, for coming along. And Will, straight over to you. You have a menu out there. How can somebody get to enjoy the food? <laughs> yes, uh, Alison, I, it is a virtual event, but I, I assure you the food is most real. Uh, we're, as you pointed out, we've worked with Mildred Temple, Temple Kitchen, uh, head chef Donna Dewar is a proud Irish Canadian and uh, a wonderful chef based here in Toronto. So we are doing it as a delivered box of prepared food that has a minimum amount of uh, cooking or preparation to convert into a warm beautifully freshly made um, restaurant style meals. Uh, we have a lovely fresh cured salmon on a, a homemade uh, soda bread which will be sent out to everyone and for the main course we have a fillet tenderloin of beef with uh, potatoes carrots and a mushroom jus and then for dessert we have a freshly baked uh, Guinness cake as well so that's going out. So, uh, some wonderful volunteers and my thanks to them uh, we have a little over 100 meals uh, signed up so uh, 100 people going to be watching it uh, some some are two person households some are four person households uh, so we're really very much uh, looking forward to that but but to be sure everyone the, the food is most most definitely real and so while you prepare your meal and then sit down and enjoy it we have two musicians uh, most people I, I imagine would be aware of Mr. Tom Power who uh, runs the CBC show Q uh, daily during the week which mm-hmm. is syndicated across Canada and down in into the United States, uh, a proud Newfoundlander and a proud Newfoundland musician, uh, and he will be paired with Ethan Ivrian, who comes from another august Irish musical family, uh, the O'Briens. Uh, her father, Mick O'Brien, is probably the greatest Ellen Piper in the world alive today, and her sister and brother are uh, very well accomplished musicians in their, in their own right. And actually, there's a double connection there, because Aoife was the head of the orchestra or the band in from away in the West End for the last two years. Uh, of course, that has been uh, stymied due to COVID, but she has a, a, a deep knowledge of Newfoundland music because of that. And so what they will do is they are going to entertain our audience with uh, an education and a musical experience of music that is uh, native to Ireland, but also native now to Newfoundland and talking about the variants and the differences and the similarities between those two musical styles. As, as I understand that, well, you're launching a virtual exhibition. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, where we've been involved with uh, Dr. Jason King for several years. I think 2017 is when this went back to, if, if memory serves. So uh, th- uh, our chair Robert always says that we have uh, we go for the long view, and this is definitely one of those projects. Uh, I, I won't talk too much about it because J- uh, Jason is really the the expert. But we're incredibly honoured and proud to be part of this. 
uh, a key element for Ireland Park Foundation is to commemorate uh, and celebrate the story of the Irish in Canada. And I think this uh, virtual exhibit is is one of the uh, be one of the cornerstones of that for many years to come. If, if I can preface it a little bit, we are also uh, nearing completion of Dr. George Robert Grissett Park, and we'll come back to you and speak with you that on a further day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the glass has been ordered and is being manufactured, and we expect that to open in July as well. So that's one form of commemoration. And then this piece with the Digital Museums Canada um, uh, piece is going to be a fantastic uh, digital uh, footprint for that uh, story as well. So Grissett is in there and, and, and many others. But I, as I said, I'll, I'll let Jason, who is far more uh, intimate involved in this. Uh, okay, well, as William uh, has mentioned, we've been working with Digital Museums Canada now for a number of years. Digital Museums Canada is a branch of the Canadian Museum of History, the largest uh, the largest museum in Canada. And it's very prestigious to uh, be working with Digital Museums Canada. It's a very well-funded uh, virtual exhibit. And the exhibit is titled Irish Famine Migrant Stories in Ontario, and its purpose basically is to pay tribute to those Canadian caregivers who risked and often gave their lives in uh, caring for typhus-stricken Irish immigrants in, uh, in Toronto, but in other parts of Ontario as well in 1847 and 1848. And the exhibit also ties in, of course, with the, uh, the unveiling or the launch of Dr. George Robert Brissett Park in Toronto uh, this coming July. And I might uh, hand over to William for a minute to talk about uh, Grissett Park. Uh, yes, I think I think Jason's going to has done a good job explaining that uh, um, quite well. So just to, to say, from Ireland Park Foundation's position, we've been expanding the different facets of the stories for many years. So it started off uh, with Ireland Park, which commemorated those who came to Toronto and unfortunately, uh, due to uh, ship's fever or typhus, went no further. But as we explored that, we realized there was so many other different stories. So immediately coming out of that, discovered was this Anglican doctor, Dr. George Robert Grissett, who would have come from a well-established Protestant family in the city of Toronto, and him lobbying for the position of chief ascending surgeon in the emigrant hospital, and dying less than a month after he took that position, was an individual who resonated particularly with Robert and the board at the time, as a man who uh, reached across the divide and uh, wanted to help uh, mostly Catholic Irish uh, uh, flooding into the city. So it's it's a it's a sad uh, kind of bit of serendipity that this year anyone in the medical profession is a residence there because of COVID. That was not envisioned when we first started, and it's uh, the also the dual story of of someone helping migrants as well is something that I think it resonates this year more than ever. So these problems have been around for a long, long time, and uh, Grissett himself is just one individual who who stood up uh, against that tide and tried to help uh, as much as he can and ultimately made the the, uh, the ultimate sacrifice. And as we continued our research, we discovered other doctors, nurses, medical orderlies, up to about 15 right now. There's probably more that we haven't discovered, uh, all of whom gave their lives while tending to the, to the Irish there, and many of whom, uh, particularly the nurses and orderlies who wouldn't have been very economically uh, established, ended up back in the hospital, the emigrant hospital, and dying there uh, in the very place where they had a few previously been uh, working and trying to help the migrants. So uh, a very sad uh, tale in its own right, but I think one that has a... I personally see it as at least 
in having left a village, the Irish having left a village that, you know, they may never have gone more than 15 kilometers from their homestead to travel across the Atlantic from Quebec all the way down into Toronto and unfortunately where their story ends for many of them, they at least found kindness and caring in Canadians who were uh, were here. And then for many others, they thankfully, they survived and they went on to thrive. And that's, again, I think the exhibition shows that uh, that element. Sometimes I think there can be too much just talking about the death and destruction, which is incredibly important and obviously the single biggest part of the story. But many thousands came to Canada, settled here, and became the foundations of many towns and villages across uh, Quebec and across Ontario and then down into the United States and beyond. So uh, I think sharing that story of survival and of thriving is is as important. And uh, again, I'll, I'll hand back to Jason to maybe talk about that a little bit. And again, I think what's particularly poignant, you mentioned there that here this year, the last 12 months particularly, where so many people, frontline healthcare workers, have devoted their lives to the current pandemic, and at the same time, some of them have ended up having uh, given their lives also. And um, I think likewise, uh, the other thing that I think would, is very important that we mention is that what the population of Toronto was at that time relative to the number of Irish who arrived on the scene. So if you want to cover that first, Will, and then I'll hand it back over to Jason. Yeah, absolutely. I will to, to take your first point. It's, it's a weird proclivity of the medical profession that uh, unlike the, for example, the military world where there are uh, rightly so brilliant and beautiful memorials to the sacrifice they make, for, for some reason the medical profession doesn't do that for themselves as, as they really should uh, and so we've taken it upon ourselves to talk about this story but uh, I think again the resonance is there but just it's it's so so grateful we're so grateful to be able to commemorate healthcare in general uh, and just to say that there's a sacrifice of doctors and nurses but yes I mean the calamity was I think insane is the only way to put it. Uh, there was about 20,000 people in the city of Toronto. It had been designated a city less than 10 years previous to that. It was uh, nicknamed Muddy York. It was a small uh, enclave on the, you know, the periphery of the then British Empire near a, you know, a relatively uh, harsh uh, environment. And uh, in that year with 20,000 people here, there are 38,560 Irish migrants landed in on them in, in one sailing season. Intense efforts to try and fix that, and, and also uh, healthcare back then was really seen as a private enterprise. It was not really the purview of the state, anywhere near what it would be now. Uh, only the most destitute would actually go to a state-run institution. You were kind of expected to call the doctor yourself and pay for it, and and so even with a city of that size, the medical infrastructure was almost non-existent. The the single hospital they built, did build at, uh, at where the TIF, the light box is, was designed for no more than a hundred people at any point. It was really, as I said, for the for the worst in society to be able to go and get basic care. And so uh, an influx of this size was just, a to- I'm sure, a total shock to the city and its, mm-hmm. its medical Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason? Yeah, I'd like to give you a brief kind of overview uh, of the exhibits, the whistle-stop mm-hmm. tour, if you like. I love it. Uh, as, uh, as, as well as mentioned, its main purpose is to pay tribute to those Canadian caregivers and uh, medical personnel who risked and lost their lives. Um, but the whole exhibit is actually comprised of six sections, and that's only the first section, uh, Sacrifice, Toronto's Dr. Cassette, which pays tribute to Dr. Cassette as well as those lesser 
uh, known medical personnel, including the immigration agent Edward McElderry, who also lost his life caring for Irish immigrants. The second section of the exhibit is called Bearing Witness, the famine diary of Stephen Devere, and this is really one of the jewels in the crown of the exhibit, so to speak. Stephen Devere was reasonably well known in his day. He was the son of a, an affluent Irish landlord in Curragh Chase in County Limerick, but unlike most uh, members of the gentry, Devere risked his life traveling in the steerage of a coffin ship to safeguard former tenants from his estate to Upper Canada, where he was just hoping to establish a colony. And his testimony was later published by the House of Lords and became instrumental in improving conditions for emigrants at sea. So he'd be reasonably well known for that. But what is completely unknown about Stephen de Beer is that he kept a very detailed, very meticulous set of diaries while he was in Canada, beautiful red-bound leather journals full of his handwriting, which offer incredibly detailed descriptions of the Canadian landscape as he's moving from east to west through Quebec and Ontario, and also detailing his impressions of the suffering of Irish immigrants along the way. And one of the most remarkable passages you'll find in Stephen Devere's diary is dated Friday, October 1st, 1847, a day in which he happened to be in Toronto, it is the day on which Toronto's bishop, Michael Power, passes away, also caring for famine immigrants, and DeVere writes a very moving, very powerful entry in his diary, written only for himself, something he never shared with anybody else, which I'd like to take the opportunity to read to you now. Friday, October 1st, morning service. Reverend Michael Power, Catholic Bishop of Toronto, died this morning. He was a man of great generosity and nobleness, most kindly and charitable in a true and most extended sense, a humble Christian. By his example, his justice, his unfailing attention to the duties, high station, and strictness of the discipline, that's the end of the page, then it goes on to the next page of his journal, he brought into perfect order a diocese which he found almost entirely in anarchy. His death is attributable under providence to the noble and devoted zeal which, since the illness of so many of his clergy, he has visited the beds of every sick and dying emigrant. He did not spare himself, but God had spared him a longer sojourn on earth. He was a man of no political party, of no religious bigotry. He was too strong-minded to be a bigot and too wise to be a partisan. He was therefore respected and beloved by men of all creeds and parties. May God Almighty have mercy on his soul. And as I was saying, this is an entry Stephen Devere wrote in his unpublished diary only for himself, a diary that remained in the archives for 150 years till we unearthed it for this, this exhibit. It's fully digitized. Uh, as the exhibit launches, people can read the entire diary for themselves, and it's full of very amusing and very powerful passages like this. So one of the jewels in the crown of the exhibit, so to speak. Mm. That's two of the six sections of the exhibit. I'll very quickly take you through the remaining four. After bearing witness, the third section of the exhibit is called Traumatized Survivors in Niagara. This section follows a group of famine immigrants from the Strokestown Park Estate in County Roscommon, who were assisted to emigrate in 1847, crossed the Atlantic in some of the most notorious of the coffin ships, such as the Virginius, with a death rate of over 50%, 
And the survivors, many of them clustered in the Niagara region, where they found work building the Second Welland Canal. So in this section, we follow a particular group uh, of foreign immigrants from one part of Ireland to one part of Ontario, tracking their movements along the way. The fourth section of the exhibit is called Kingston and Toronto's Famine Orphans. This section uh, details the fate of the many children who are separated from their parents and taken in by, in the case of Kingston, the religious hospital sisters for a period of about two years until they were able to find new homes. In Toronto, the Toronto Widows and Orphans Asylum, where the children were also taken in. We've worked on this project very closely with the Professor Mark McGowan from the University of Toronto, also a great friend of Island Park Foundation. And uh, Mark makes the point that in the Toronto Widows and Orphans Asylum, it's the only uh, institution in Canada in which contracts were specifically drawn up for each of the children who were placed in care after they left the asylum to ensure that they weren't exploited in, uh, uh, in their new families. And of course, Protestant children would be placed with Protestant families, Catholic children would be placed with the Catholic families. And there was an extremely uh, high level of follow-up and monitoring of those children after they left the asylum, which would be somewhat unusual in Canada. The fifth uh, section of the exhibit is called Compassion and Struggle, Sister Briere's Struggles in Bytown, to be a part of the world you know well, in Ottawa. Uh, Sister Briere had established an order of the Grey Nuns only in 1845 in Ottawa. They were completely overwhelmed in 1847 by the, by the arrival of family immigrants, and this section uh, is really built around Sister Briere's correspondence with her counterpart in Montreal, Father Elizabeth McMullen, uh, documenting the very uh, difficult conditions in which they're working, the incredible suffering of famine immigrants, including a child named Mary Carney, who passed away from typhus in her arms and is, is described as being black like coal, such as the, the condition in which they found her. And then the final section of the exhibit is called Remembering Family Stories. And in this exhibit, uh, we follow the descendants of family immigrants to Ontario who recall their ancestors through precious artifacts, precious heirlooms, precious family stories which remind them of where they came from in Ireland, including a very remarkable woman named Brenda Sissons, whose ancestor, Margaret Conlon, had written a letter on board a ship called the Achilles that was uh, just arriving in Canada, just arriving uh, at Rocille, where she, she, she wrote a letter hoping to meet one of her relatives in Toronto, but she also writes that letter immediately after her husband had fallen overboard, so she's, uh, of course, stricken with grief, mm -hmm. full of fear about what awaits her in the new world, what awaits her children, um, and she herself then passes away a few days later on Rocille, leaving only her daughter uh, only her daughter, also named, Mar uh, named Margaret Condon, uh, being the only survivor of the family. And this, this, this remarkable letter also forms part of the exhibit. It, uh, it, it, it's reproduced, it's transcribed, and, 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 it, and in, in, the, in this part of the exhibit you learn the fate of uh, sorry, Mary Condon's the mother, her daughter, the only survivor of the, fa the family, is named Margaret Condon, uh, after her mother and her father passed away in, in 1847. And this only survivor, Margaret Conlon, goes on to have a family, goes on to have descendants who then can recall the, their own story of arriving in Canada through this precious letter. So it's, it's just one example of the many types of artifacts and heirlooms you can find in the exhibit. 
in which the descendants of farm and migrants now living in Ontario recall their family stories. So, a big overview of the exhibit, but one that takes you around Ontario and, and, and covers many of the different facets of the family migration story in 1847 and 1848. So the question is, where can people find the virtual exhibit? Uh, from when? And uh, is there any fee to view the virtual exhibit? Will? Uh, no, thankfully there's no fee. Uh, as Jason uh, suggested at the start, uh, we, we got a very generous grant from uh, the Digital Museums of Canada. So the taxpayers of Canada have uh, funded this, and so therefore it is uh, free gratis for anyone who so wants to, to see this, as it's it's a, a piece of information they deemed was was of uh, enough significance. Actually, I will hand over to Jason to get IrishFamineStories.ca. IrishSalmonStories.ca. It's it's available now. It's being launched officially on uh, St. Patrick's Day on March 17th, but it's available to view as we speak. I also want to make the point that because this is the Digital Museum of Canada, an official uh, institution of Canada, the whole exhibit is available in English and in French. Everything has been translated, uh, professionally translated from one language into another. So in a sense, it's two exhibits the English language and French language versions of uh, uh, Irish famine migrant stories in Ontario, the link being irishfamilystories.ca. Indeed, and I'm looking at the website, beautiful, and at the timelines on it, uh, supported by photography and uh, expanding into full stories under each of the segments. Uh, congratulations to you both. Uh, hopefully you have a very successful virtual launch and that it attracts good traffic. I'll happily be sharing this and the links to it uh, through social media, etc. Uh, as uh, this goes uh, out there. And uh, I want to thank you both for taking the time. And thank you very much. Thank you. If, if we could just add uh, briefly that we do have, as, as mentioned, a talk with all of the major contributors to the website on Wednesday, uh, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, and via Zoom. You can go to our website, IrelandParkFoundation.com, and you'll see the event there on the homepage. It's a free event on Zoom, so just sign up and we'll send you the link, and that will be a good way to hear from the experts who helped pull this together. Thank you very much, Alison. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Will. Thank you, Alison. Awesome.